Well, thanks for worshiping with us today here at Crossroads. We are in week three of this series that we've entitled Overcoming Apathy. And we've just been doing some self-introspection to just get an identity of what this kind of feeling that we all might have in our hearts, where, where it comes from and really what to do with it. We see it kind of just wreaking havoc across all segments of our society. Certainly the Western church has been plagued by it. And maybe by now you've even identified some of the cobwebs that are in your head or in your heart when it comes to apathy. We began by looking at a prayer that Paul prayed and pinned to the church at Philippi, the believers there. And I ask you to pray this prayer over your life, over the life of your spouse and your kids, over the life of your, your neighbor, your coworker, your boss, maybe those that you worship next to every week, and, and certainly even over anybody that God would place in your path. Because the prayer Paul prays is just for us to figure out what really matters in life. Paul says this, this is my prayer, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you would be able to discern what's best. And you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What happens is as our love grows deeper and deeper, we're able to focus on what really matters in life, how to love God and how to love others well. The Holy Spirit in us starts to conform us into the image of Jesus uh, that we begin to live and love the way that he does. And when we do, God is glorified. What that means is that people see in us his character. Last week, in addition to kind of poking fun at my athleticism and obsession with UK basketball, which were accurate and highly deserved, uh, Andy Tier pointed out that faith requires work. I'm not talking about the work like works to be saved. Jesus accomplished all that work when he died on the cross and resurrected from the grave. That's why he said it is finished from the cross. We're talking about the work that Paul mentioned in, in Philippians 1 verse 6, that God would be faithful to complete this work in us. And that work is the work of sanctification, conforming us into the image of Jesus. And while that sounds real simple, it's so nowhere easy. It requires effort and time. It's a continual process that will continue until the day of Christ or until our very last day. Paul says in Philippians 2 that our lives will shine like stars when we hold on to the gospel of truth. And he also says that we'll be a light to the world around us when we hold out that same gospel of truth. We do that by, by living for Christ and, and like Christ, where we live and where we work, where we play, even where we worship. I hope if you've taken the time to read through the book of Philippians already as we've been working through this series... That the Word of God has just been encouraging you. It's been challenging you and correcting you. It's been training you in righteousness so that all of us would be prepared for every good work. It's not too late to jump in and read through the book of Philippians. In fact, it'll take you about 10 to 15 minutes. I'm not a fast reader, and, and I, I've been able to do it in that segment of time. I didn't highly encourage you to do that. One of the goals I have for myself this year, a personal goal, is just that I would spend 10 minutes a day, about five times a week hopefully, just listening to God. Now, I get paid to talk, right? And I like to talk. But I'm trying to discipline my heart through this spiritual practice to let God be the one talking. One of the prompts recently in the 40 days to listening to God guide that I'm using Ask me to consider what scriptures that I have hidden in my heart that I need the most in this season of life. 
And some of the ones that I began rattling off from memory and from my heart were several of these that we've read as we work through the book of Philippians. So I just want to again encourage you to let these words sink deeply into your heart. Let them encourage you. Let them move you from this state of apathy you might find yourself in. Today we want to consider how apathy is a result of us not connecting our faith to the rest of our week. Not seeing any real purpose on how we spend our time Monday through Saturday. If our faith is only just something that we do for an hour or so on a Sunday morning, it certainly can become stale, it can become lifeless, just a habit, or at worst, just something that we do. Bill Clinton, our 42nd president, after becoming president, was asked by a member of the clergy. They said, Bill, it seems like you're going to church is just an act. To which Clinton responded, at least it's a consistent act. Now, I don't think that's a great recipe for overcoming apathy. Like all of us, Bill Clinton and ourselves included, need to understand that our following Jesus has to be something more than we just do. It has to be something that we become, something that we are. I think the Apostle Paul addresses that as he continues his letter to the Philippians. And so if you have a copy of the Bible or you want to use the one in the seat backs in front of you, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Paul's letter to the Philippians uh, has so many helpful teachings in it. You can see through his letter that he cared a lot for this group of people. He's very grateful for them, but he's also concerned. He's concerned that they would grow stagnant in their faith. He's also concerned that they might succumb themselves to some false teaching that was very prominent during those days in the first century. It seems a little outdated to us, but Paul addresses multiple times in his letters the issue of circumcision. And you're kind of like, I don't really know what to do with that, right? Well, just understand that the real issue revolves around the presence or the influence the Old Testament law should have in our lives. And there were people telling the Philippians that they need to worry a lot about what was going on the outside, like circumcision, and maybe not be as concerned about the things that were happening on the inside. And, and that ticked Paul off. And he, he just did not want that to be something that would, would pull the Philippians away from the true faith. He said it, he kind of started to address like these issues about like where you grew up or where you were born or who your family is, where you work, how much influence you have, are you really good at keeping the rules? All those things were getting a lot of attention. And Paul said, that's not really what true faith is all about. And so he wrote these words in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. He says this. If someone thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul's kind of giving his resume there. If we try to obey the Old Testament law, if we try to perform, if we think that we have to measure up, keep up, or show up, we'll find ourselves tired and disappointed, frustrated, hopeless, and probably ready to quit. All that, I think, reflects this apathy that we might be feeling. Paul says this, all those things were really important to me at one time. That's how I lived. And I did a pretty good job at it, Paul says, until something happened. And that something was actually a someone. Let's continue reading now Paul's words, uh, starting in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Philippians. Paul says this, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss 
Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Look at this verse. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul had an encounter with Jesus. It was a personal encounter, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 9. Paul actually retells the account many times all throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And when Paul met Jesus, everything changed. His life changed. His priorities changed, his passions, his pursuits, even his purpose, all of that changed. It was not just one aspect of his life that was altered that day. Because Paul made a decision to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, he experienced salvation through faith. And the Holy Spirit began producing fruit in and through his life. By the time he wrote this letter to the Philippians, by this point Paul had already planted probably a handful of churches He'd already written eight of the 14 letters that he uh, are now found in Scripture. It was about 10 years after planting the church in Philippi, Philippi that Paul's now writing to them. At this point in Paul's life, you could say, like, he's kind of got this following Jesus stuff all mastered. He's, he's kind of living life, his best life, life to the fullest, right? Well, I like to see how Paul describes his life at this point. Listen to what he says in verse, um, the next verses. I don't have it written in front of me. Verses 12. Paul says, not that I've already attained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me in heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of these things. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make it clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Paul viewed following Jesus like running a race. And the race that he had in mind was no sprint. It was actually a marathon. Paul was familiar with the ancient Olympic Games. He was in that time period. He knew what it was like to see runners run with everything they had to win a prize. And when that person won the prize or won the race, they would actually walk up a flight of stairs that ascended to a throne where Caesar was sitting. And Caesar would take a wreath, of a crown made of wreath, or a crown that's a wreath, and place it on the winner's head. Paul talked about that experience when he wrote to the Corinthians, saying this in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Be that person, Paul says. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. That's what I look like in my neighborhood most mornings. But Paul says, that's not me. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I discipline my body. I make it my slave. So that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Paul was not apathetic. You see in Paul this urging for knowing Christ more. You can call that urging, that passion for Christ, zeal. 
It's a continual pursuit. It's a continual um, desire for Christ. It's actually the antithesis of apathy. Paul told the Philippians, those who are mature should think like me. Follow my example, Paul says. Look what he continues to write. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He's probably talking about himself, Timothy, even Epaphroditus, who he's written about already in Philippians. He says, I've told you before, and I now tell you again, even with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and the glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, by his power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they may be like his glorious body. Paul urges the Philippians and the rest of us to follow his example, to keep growing, to keep yearning, to keep striving to know Christ more, to not settle or become complacent or certainly apathetic. He pointed out that there are those who've chosen to live their lives as enemies of the cross, which means they've rejected the teachings of Jesus. They ignore his way of life, a way of life that's filled with holiness and humility, compassion. They've neglected their eternal purpose, Paul says. They have their minds set on earthly things. He says they're proud of the things that they should be ashamed or embarrassed of. And their sinful passions that control them will actually lead them to being destroyed. And then he calls us to live differently. He calls us to live as citizens of heaven. The Philippians had a really unique identity, a reality that was unlike many people. But they lived in this little town called Philippi. It was about 600 miles removed from Rome. But they were Roman citizens. So Rome dictated everything about their life, even though they didn't live in that city. Paul knew that about the Philippians, and he used that as an illustration to help them understand how they are to live as citizens of heaven living down on earth. It's a great example for us to look at, that our identity, our significance, the, the thing that, we, that brings our deepest loyalty should be the things of heaven. Paul said, I abandoned a lot of good things to pursue one thing that trumps them all, and that is knowing Christ. Paul points out our motivation, even our inspiration, is Jesus himself. He's not just our Savior, he's our Lord. He's not just our Lord, but he is Lord of all of heaven and earth. And he has the power to transform us from who we have been maybe who we are or who we've become, to be like him. And that should impact the rest of the way that we live our lives, the rest of the week, from Monday all the way through Saturday. How do we keep ourselves of thinking that our faith is just something that impacts a a few hours on a Sunday morning, that has no real relevance to the rest of our life, or it's just something that we do, it's not something that we are. When we talk about living and loving like Jesus here at Crossroads, that's something that we're not just talking about when we spend our time together in worship or meet in a small group or serve in a ministry. Certainly living and loving like Jesus impacts that, but it's way bigger and it should have way more impact. 
We talk about living and loving like Jesus involves being with God and being with others and being sent. And none of those things are resolved to, are re, uh, focus on just one hour a week. There's something that should be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. We spend some time reflecting and even unpacking in a variety of ways what it looks like to live and to love like Jesus. And today, we want to talk specifically about how living and loving like Jesus impacts the way that we live on mission the other six days of the week. We actually have a team made up of people from our congregation here at Crossroads. We call them the missional living team. They pray, they think, and they lead out on helping all of us live and love like Jesus where we live, where we work, where we worship, where we play. Most of us spend a significant amount of time going to work every day, either doing things that we get paid for, or they might be things that we do that we don't get paid for. How we go about that work is a real indicator of our pursuit of Jesus. It also is probably a good gauge of just how it apathetic we might be, not just about work, but also about life. And so today we wanted to explore what it looks like to connect our faith to the rest of our week. And we wanted to do that by um, having a conversation with a new friend. This new friend is named Chuck Proudfit. He's actually the founder and president of an organization called At Work On Purpose. He's passionate about helping the people who follow Christ not be apathetic about their faith, and to see the work world transformed by mobilizing irresistibly transformed people. In his professional life, Chuck has worked for the Procter & Gamble Company, the Ernest and uh, Julio Gallo Winery. He's actually worked at Lens Crafters Corporation. He studied at Harvard University, and while there, he pioneered the school's organizational development curriculum. He's a speaker and an author, but he also uh, serves as an elder at the church where he worships in Mason, Ohio. He has a black belt in Taekwondo, so don't mess with him, all right? Uh, he's actually studied under Olympic coach Hong Kong Kim. Chuck's married his wife, Gerald. They have two children, then they adopted both their children from South Korea. And so I'd like for you to have a, a good crossroads warm welcome for uh, Chuck Proudfit. Come on up, Chuck. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for just uh, your partnership with us already. And uh, it's been great to learn from you. And uh, today, I hope the, our conversation will be helpful to all of us today. I just want to jump in and say, why don't you describe what you see uh, in the world around us, maybe specifically the workplace, when it comes to the state of things? <laughs> the state of today's workplace. I would wager most of you already know the answer to that. It's tough. I think for many of us, there's a pre-COVID and a post-COVID reality to what work is like. And if we step back to 2020 and then work our way to the present, you know, we went through the shutdown in March of 2020. So many of us were dislocated. We were literally physically removed out of our jobs, we're at home. And then to this day, many of us are still trying to figure out what it looks like to be located, either working virtually at home or hybrid, or we're back to the office and all that stuff. But it wasn't just that. It was a season and it continues to be a season where we're disoriented. So many of the organizations where we work had to restructure. I remember in 2020, the word was pivot. Everybody had to pivot, pivot, pivot. <laughs> but everybody's still pivoting. And it's disorienting. And I would add to that that it's become discouraging. So the, the, the tempo at work is just one of weariness. It's been three years now and we're entering a fourth of just hard 
work. How do you see apathy related to that? And, or maybe how has it led to apathy? Well, it's been interesting because we can look at it through spiritual eyes, but you don't need to be a Christian to put language to what people are experiencing. The first phrase that really started to emerge was the great resignation. So you'll remember that lots of people left the workforce when COVID hit and they haven't come back. So when we see really low unemployment rates, part of the reason is that there are less people in the workforce than there used to be. A new term that's emerged is what's called quiet quitting. What that means is that we're still officially employed somewhere, but we really don't have much of a mind space there. We're kind of physically there, but we're looking for another job. We're just doing the bare minimum to get by. And I think there's also something emerging, and many of us have been reading about this, which I would call a dramatic displacement. And this is the emergence of artificial intelligence and automation, which is creating all kinds of replacements for people in the workplace, both blue collar and white collar jobs. So I, I think the future of work looks very complicated and all of us are wrestling through it. Thanks for the encouraging word there. That's, that's good news. I mean, wow. Hey, you asked me to be real. I'm <laughs> being real. Uh, uh, I guess I, I hear all that, and I kind of hear this contrast in Paul's words that we looked at today, right? And just like he has this drive that seems to be uh, just like insatiable, and he's writing from prison, right? So I'm kind of like, all right, how do, you, how do you live that way in the reality that he finds himself or that we find ourselves in, right? I think he's such a great example. So it's Paul who said to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a guy who was so not apathetic. He was so motivated that he was willing to martyr himself in a moment for his faith. That's the kind of conviction we should bring to our work. In all of the difficulties around us at work, there are opportunities spiritually if we can stop for a moment and recognize them. I, I know that we're in Philippians right now, but in, in 2 Corinthians, there's a wonderful passage about all of us as workers, that we should be ambassadors of reconciliation. And everywhere we work, we have opportunities for that, every day. Most of us don't realize this. The average local church has a congregation of 65 people. I know Crossroads is bigger than that, but the average local church congregation of 65 people, the everyday working Christian has a sphere of influence of 250 people, four times the size. So if we were to go to work on Monday morning, thinking of it as a mission field, that we could minister to our sphere of influence, it could change everything about our job, no matter what the tasks are, that our role is to be an ambassador. And I would also say that for some of us, this could be a season to step back and ask the question, if if scripture tells us that God created good works in advance for us to do, if we're Christ's workmanship, then are we really at work on the purposes that he has for us? Is there a better place for us to seek out to work? Are we tapping into the passions of our heart, the talents that God wired into us, the skills that we've developed? And I think for many of us, we as Christians at work can become too apathetic in the roles that we hold. Instead of stepping forward bravely enough, courageously enough to embrace something new that God might be bringing our way. I know we've talked often about like uh, work, what you get paid for, what you don't get paid for, because I think we sometimes think of work as our job. And um, your heart and, and the mission of your organization is, is focused on those, uh, that workplace, but also in general, just like how do we go about our work well? 
in a way that honors Christ, in a way that's on mission and on purpose. So let's maybe talk about some solutions. Like how do I move? If I'm like, I need to move off this apathetic spot. How do I re-engage or engage maybe for the first time ever in the work that God's given me to do? That's such a good word. And Phil, first of all, let me just affirm what you were just saying. We often think of work as what we go someplace to do and get paid for. But when you have a stay-at-home mom who is working hard to raise children, that is a full-time job, and it's really important. When we see people who are officially retired by the standards of the work world, but they're actually refired and they're out there making the world a better place, they're also at work on God's purposes. So I really believe that this theme of work cuts across everybody. But here's another theme that cuts across everywhere. It's the theme of choices. Every day when we go to work, we're confronted with choices and sometimes they're really hard choices. And the choices that we make have everything to do with the witness that we build. I would suggest that we build our witness at work one choice at a time. So to me, the biggest opportunity spiritually at work every day is to be choiceful. And very briefly, five areas of choice that I have found confront all of us as working Christians for you to think about as you go to work on Monday morning. First one is, do we isolate or integrate our faith in the working world? Do we truly have the mindset that our faith should inform all of our life, including our work? Are we going to resist or respond to God's vocational call in our work? Maybe he's got a new work for us. Are we going to compromise or commit to kingdom standards in a work world that often lowers the bar to the lowest possible level? Are we going to sit back or serve the people around us who are ministry opportunities just waiting to happen? And are we going to spend or steward the resources that God entrusts to all of us through our everyday work. How can we be more choiceful there? I hear all those words and they, they, they don't really describe actions as much as a heart. They describe kind of like who people are as opposed to what they're doing. Obviously that doing comes out of who we are. And uh, again, looking at what Paul had to say, is like he wasn't doing those things. It was actually his presence, his, just how he lived his life that just kind of brought those things, that fruit that comes from Christ and the Holy Spirit working in his life. And boy, boy what, would our world be a different place if all of us were in tune with that, living that way? Um, the world would be changing around us drastically. I loved what you were saying earlier. What would it look like to be faithful 24-7, 365? To live an integrated life. Work life is just one part of a whole life, but our world often teaches us to live life in compartments. And Paul modeled something really different. Let's talk about um, one practical step everybody could take. So these are some opportunities around us, some great kind of uh, skeleton to flesh out there a little bit. What would be one thing you would encourage everybody to do here today, no matter what work they'll be going to do tomorrow? Let me encourage you to attend a workshop that Crossroads is going to be holding in February, which is called Mission to Monday. This workshop was designed to be a very practical primer on how to begin bringing your Sunday faith to your Monday work. And if your schedule allows, please join us.
Yeah, we mentioned it earlier in the service, but this uh, Mission to Monday workshop is something that Crossroads is providing for everybody who calls Crossroads home. We're actually covering the cost of the workshop so that you won't have any inhibitor to come. And we're also providing childcare. And so it's free. And what you need to do is just simply register. You can learn more about the seminar uh, at cccgo.com forward slash info. You can register there, learn more about Chuck. And um, it'd be open to people, other people in our community, but as part of the Crossroads family, we want to take care of those expenses for you to continue to equip you in uh, connecting your faith to Monday through Saturday. Uh, Chuck, one of the things I immediately picked up on you as we got to know each other just over the past couple months is just uh, the heart of Christ that's in you. And um, I know uh, you're a professional and I know you have a really heart and calling to the work you're doing. But where it comes from, I've just observed is this heart that loves Jesus and uh, to know him more. And I'm really grateful for that. I appreciate the influence that's already happened in my life. And I'm grateful that the people of Crossroads will be able to uh, grow in that uh, influence as well. And uh, thanks for what you do. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you. Honor. Thank you so much. Chuck's got to hurry back to the Cincinnati area today. There's a big game coming up for his and his uh, who day. Yeah, that's right. Wanted to give him a chance to get that in there, right? So, you know, uh, Chuck mentioned about a choice that we all make. I think we saw a very powerful example of that choice being made to find purpose and meaning and doing work well uh, in our community just this past Thursday as uh, some really violent things were taking place at the Walmart on the west side of our town. There were people who didn't just show up for their job that day, but they actually brought their best to the workplace place that day. There were several uh, Evansville Police Department and Vanderbilt County Sheriff's deputies who responded without a second's thought to go in and to take care of a violent situation. There were first responders, everybody from the dispatch worker to the EMS driver. And I'm grateful to live in a community where people just don't call it in to their workplace, but they actually live that every day. And I just wanna say thank you for that. And I also would be remiss if I didn't mention that Walmart associate who didn't just think about her own self, but found a way to remove herself from a very bad situation so that she could call and get help for those who were in harm's way. And then after realizing that someone had been injured, she returned to that situation to provide care and to hide that person until the EMS workers got there. That's another example of what it looks like to not just show up for a paycheck, to not just show up for what you can get out of work, but actually to do your work well and watch the ripple effect around you in those moments. And tomorrow morning, all of us will have the same choice, the same opportunity. The alarm will go off and we'll get up and get dressed and we'll go off to work. Whether that even requires you to leave your house or not is irrelevant these days, right? Some of you, your work will be to uh, get up and get the kids up so they can go to school. Others, your work will be to go to school. All of us will have a set of responsibilities that will be on our to-do list tomorrow. And how we do that work is really where the rubber meets the road, right? We can sit around in this room and sing and pray all day long. Be passionate like crazy on Sunday morning. But if we're apathetic on Monday and the rest of the week... That doesn't honor God, my friends. What Christ is calling us to is a lifestyle of following him. And that has a lot more to do 
then just what happens on Sunday morning, it happens every day of our life in everything that we say and everything that we think, our attitudes about our work as well as the way we do our work and the way that we also make good use of the opportunities that God has created for us to care for those people around us. We can choose to be, meh, just apathetic and watch all those opportunities flow right in front of us without engaging in any, any of them. Or we can choose to live in love like Jesus and to do our work in a way that honors him by doing good work and also to be attuned to what his spirit is prompting us to, to be and, and how to live and how to love in a way that would glorify him. So my prayer is this, that all of our love for God and for others would grow. It would abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you and I would be able to discern what really matters. We'd be able to make wise choices in the moment, sometimes without a split second of opportunity to make those decisions. I pray that because of that, because of God's love growing in us, that our lives would be fruitful. We, we would be filled with the fruit that comes from knowing Christ. It wouldn't just be something we talk about on Sunday. It'd be something we live every day of the week. And the result of that would be glory and praise to God. And the world around us would see the light of Christ living in us and be drawn to it. You know, we have the opportunity the rest of today to live that way. We don't have to wait till tomorrow. But let's make sure that every day, as many days as God gives us, until we see Jesus face to face, that we will live and we will love like him.